And we're back with another episode of Redesigning School. I'm Terry DeVoe, the Director of Special Projects here at Hawken. And I'm Garrett Libby, Hawken's Associate Head of School for Program. Uh, well, Garrett, it is the holiday season. We're recording this. It's snowing outside my window. Um, we're a couple days away from break. So how are you? And, and really, how are you? As much as you want to share with the podcast audience. I don't usually speak for others, but I've talked to a few. And I think I'm, I think I'm ready, as many are, to shepherd 2020 out the door. Um, and I think I'm just ready to have a break and have some time to reflect and think about all that has come at us over the course of this last year and what we've learned from it all. Yeah, it has been a year. I just saw a gift uh, idea of a candle in the shape of a dumpster that you could light on fire. <laughs> I thought... Here you go. The dumpster fire. Let's see if you're interested. Um, <laughs> I uh, was looking yeah. for that last stocking stuffer. Yeah, for the last stocking stuffer that, uh, for people who agree with it. Uh, but anyway, uh, so it is winter break, so it's time to um, uh, catch our breath and all of that. Um, and we thought it might be good to reflect a little bit about the fall, about what we accomplished, um, and also you know, what this year has asked of students and faculty and families. Um, and so uh, to do that, we are uh, lucky and uh, grateful that uh, we'll be joined by Courtney Martin, who is uh, Hawkins Director of the Lower School, and Dr. Michelle Harris, who is uh, the Director of the Middle School. So thank you guys for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Of course. So we'll start out with just a sort of open, easier question to ask you to reflect a little. As you think about how we teaching and learning in each of your divisions has evolved from last spring when we kind of leapt into it without a lot of preparation to the fall where we were back in person, but mitigated and with masks and with some hybrid learning of student remote students coming into the classroom from their homes. And then back again, the last few weeks back into remote learning 2.0. Um, just love to hear your reflections and thoughts about that evolution. Um, so I'll start. I think as a start, we know what synchronous and asynchronous means. That's a pretty big uh, change from when we started March. Like, what is that? Um, well, I think it's gotten better. Just yeah, we've, we use those pretty naturally now. Um, but I think it was totally different, especially as we've gone into this um, second round of just the whole school and remote learning that we've learned a lot more and the kids have learned a lot more just about the usage of technology and how they use Zoom and how they log on and the ability to use Teams. And so there's a lot of things that they could do that they couldn't do before and that they are picking up very quickly. I think for us, what we... Uh, knew then, and I think we're more thoughtful about, because we had that data from last time, was really about time and that our schedules just don't translate the same way. And even like a 30, 45 minute class for little ones might be a 15 minute Zoom meeting, or it might be that they learn really well from asynchronous content um, and being able to really think about how we're offering that. So I think for us, it was really about the usage of time, having consistency of schedule so that students and parents also know that my child needs to be logged on every day at nine o'clock or just to know what happens every day is really, really um, helpful for them. And also that we can't pack everything in in the day. We ask a lot of our kids. So I think it's actually helped us reflect on even how, when they're in person, how do we use their time and how much did they transition before that we never really stopped to, thought, you know, we never had a chance to stop to think about before we really had to, if you will. Um, so I think for us, it's been really um, intentional about how we use our time through the day, 
making sure there's time for breaks, making sure there's long chunks of time where they're not required to be online. And that could even be a day a week that they are doing things asynchronously just to give a breather because we know that that is still them working. Um, so that feedback has been helpful, I think, just to be able to learn more about kids, how they are engaged in technology, the amount of time on with screens, um, and also providing time for connection. We realized that that was still extremely important. And that's really what they crave the most was connection to their friends and classmates, but also with their teachers. Um, I would say uh, a mirror, everything that Courtney just said. And I think as I think about our time, the faculty time over the summer, when we were looking back on our experiences with remote learning in the spring and knowing that we were going to be in a position at some point this school year to engage in remote learning, what could that look like? And one of the themes that kept coming up, uh, very broadly speaking, was stability versus change. And so what I mean by that is, you know, we all want stability. We all want predictability. We, we, we look at our schedules to know what our day is going to look like. And our parents and our students need that as well. So we had to create a new schedule um, that gave them, that gives them that sense of predictability. But part of Courtney's point, we also have to be ready to be flexible. Uh, we have to be ready to, to, to make changes if necessary. So we're constantly gathering information about how is the schedule going? It's a new schedule. It's a shorter schedule. It's a new paradigm for parents as well to think about school happening in such a relatively compressed way. So we uh, created a thoughtful schedule that I think is going really well um, with shorter classes, with time for community, time to take breaks, time to connect with teachers outside of the classroom. But uh, our faculty and our students and our parents also know that we are collecting information. And if we do need to make some adjustments, that we can be willing, are willing and able to do that. And I think knowing that that flexibility exists feels important, that this isn't rigid and written in stone. And yet there is a degree of predictability about it that's reassuring. Yeah. Well, I mean, it really had an incredibly generative time at schools. I mean, at Hawk in particular, which is always busy at redesigning school, but, you know, we've, we've done a lot of new work that maybe wasn't on the schedule, but uh, we've had to do it. Um, but there's also a lot of anxiety and uncertainty for everyone involved, right? So, you know, Courtney, I'm, I'm kind of curious for the lower schools, families, and students uh, first, and then we can move up to what Michelle's seeing in the middle school. But when you think about, when you talk to parents in the lower school, what are you hearing in terms of what they're most worried about, and and how do you respond to it? Well, first, I just want to respond to something you just said that I thought about when you talked about the gener you know generating ideas, and we're saying, oh, we missed that. But typically, because when we think about innovation and generating ideas, it's something we are excited about and something that we're like, won't this be so great? But I guess when I think about it, we had to generate quite a bit. It yeah. just was in a different space, like you said, and so many things attached to it. But we did. We created our new schedule. We created um, you know new teams, new ways that students went through their days. So yeah, I guess that still is there. I think for um, parents, what I hear the most as far as questions is, uh, will our children be behind or how can we help them from being behind? And my answer to them is that they're, they're not behind because this was something that happened to all of us collectively across the world, not just at Hawkins School. So there has been a significant shift in the way that students are approaching the world, how they learn, how we teach. And 
that in this time that what's most important is keeping them healthy and whole and growing. Um, so I think that's what we hear the most is, will they be behind and how do we keep them there? And I just always say, you know, they're really, there's no one to be behind at this point because we're all in this together and readiness looks like what students show up ready to do because they're all at such different places. And what it helps us to figure out are what, what really matters when you think about student learning, we think about growth, how do you assess it? Um, so for us, some of the benchmarks we use, we take those with a grain of salt, just knowing that they are one tool and one measure we can use to look at growth, but there are so many others. Um, and so I think that that's the piece I would say is that keeping children consistent in their growth and their skill knowledge, keeping making sure they continue to read, whether it's parents reading to them or students practicing their skills, having them apply it, that that's what you'll want to do more than anything else or having them continue to write about whatever that might be. So it's that continuation of practicing skill work, but not really about meeting specific benchmarks at a specific time, because some families really are dealing with so many um, external pressures that getting through the day is growth and that is enough and that's okay. And the same thing with our children. So I think that that's the message that I would give about being behind is that we're all going to do the very best we can. Students will continue to learn. Teachers will continue to teach and we will respond uh, to children as they need us to. Hey, what about you, Michelle, in the middle school? What are you hearing? Yeah, I agree. It's exactly the same question. And it's literally that question. Will our students, will my children be ready for the next step? And, and for some of our parents, that next step is high school. And that always feels, it feels weightier. And there's worry that's connected to that. There's an immediate through line to college. And so it's a quick point of worry and anxiety. And I, and I get it. It makes good sense. Um, another parent asked this way, uh, are they getting enough school? Uh, is there enough schooling happen, happening and will our kids be ready? And I say the same thing uh, to our parents that Courtney shares with hers. The answer is yes. And that we are going through this collective experience and our teachers are incredibly mindful of that. Um, but it's not just content acquisition. We're really developing and always have uh many, many skills. And this is also a skill. How do we learn in this new context? It's a really valuable lesson, a hard one, but a valuable one. But we're not going to overburden students just because we're in this challenging place. We're actually going to step back, ask ourselves what good teaching and learning looks like, and execute it in ways that are in the best interest of students. And that takes some getting used to because it looks different for parents. Um, the other question that comes up is how do parents partner with, with us? Because their partnership looks different now and they're, and they're partners in more ways than they have been before. Um, and so what do I do? Do I need to teach them more? Do I need to read with them more? Do I let them just play and relax? So understanding their role in this new context is a, is a common question as well. And the right, and a right, and it's the right question to ask. Thank you for that. I think that leads in, I think, as we talk about really this new context and new experience that you all have been talking about, there are definitely some scholars, doctors that are seeing this pandemic, this experience, our current context is one that really could be considered and should be considered as collective trauma that people will experience and carry forward with them. And I'm, I'm curious what you all think in terms of the role schools have in supporting our students and families 
wherever they may be in that experience and helping them develop the skills that they need as to move forward in general, but also as we emerge out of this collective experience that some have qualified as a trauma. Um, I, I can I can jump into that. I know Courtney will 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 chime in as well. Um, you know, as you were saying that just now, Garrett, um, about the school's role, the first thought that came to mind is that we have to create a safe space for students, no matter what's happening in the world. So things are going along swimmingly, everything is easy and beautiful, or we're in the space we're in or something else. But our job is to create a safe space um, for them, and again, not to make it harder. The other piece that comes to mind is that our students are not going to all respond to this situation in the same way. There will be some students who look back on this as a, like, gosh, that was a really uncomfortable time, but nothing more. Other students whose families perhaps have been deeply and negatively impacted by by COVID. So I think it's important not to make assumptions about the outcome and at the same time to make sure we wrap our arms around our students in extra special ways uh, at this time, because this is the time we have control over. Um, So to make sure, for example, that if we as adults, we have much more knowledge about what COVID means and the impact of it worldwide, probably, than most of our students and uh, most children. So we take we need to take our worries and our anxiety and our knowledge, and I think manage that with other adults, make sure that we're not managing it through our, our conversations with children. So take care of ourselves first, make sure we have clarity about our own response to this situation that we're in. And secondly, to make sure we make space for students to have conversations about what's going on. Of course, they know something's happening. They know what's happening. But let the students, let children guide uh, the conversations through their questions. What questions are they asking? They may not be asking the big question. They might just be wondering, will I get sick? What will happen if I get sick? Are you going to be okay? Are we going to be okay? Is this ever going to end? So listen carefully, make time and space for kids to ask questions and listen carefully to their questions and try to address them in as clear and developmentally responsible way as we can in the here and now. I think those skills, um, that opportunity for engagement will build skills uh, around um, having clarity and understanding. And whatever they do going forward, they will know that, okay, I can manage this. I have people I can lean on. Um, so I think, I think as I think about this, those are the most important goals, clarity and understanding for adults um, and to separate their needs from kids and then to make space for kids to engage with their questions. Yeah, I would agree with everything um, that you just said, Michelle. I think for, and I think about this on our end with some of our youngest children, it's also about the consistency that they might not understand all the nuances, but they know there's something out there that is making people very sick. They know that there's something out there that is changing so much about their experiences. Um, And so they look to us to make sure, and they follow our guidance. So if we're asking them to wear masks, they do. If we're asking them to, you know, try to separate, they do that to the best of their ability. Um, So it's about remaining consistent. Um, I have the privilege of a lot of mornings standing outside and welcoming students as they walk in 
And I've seen a few that have forgotten their mask and they are just completely undone and so upset. Um, and it's not because they forgot, but it's they're sometimes frightened or they don't want to, or they think about the effect it might have on other people. So it's also, I think that fabric has changed a little bit. And so just recognizing that they are also um, have their own questions and worries too. And they just might look different when they're five or six, but those pieces are there. So long-term, I think it's hard to know because we haven't been in this long-term. I think long-term, what we need to continue to notice and to pay attention to are what students are bringing with them that we don't see or what um, we need to make sure we attend to beyond just the academics that school provides such a different, um, our school provides such a different need for our families and students. And a lot of it is around the social emotional support. So I think continuing to keep that as a priority, even as we move post COVID that realizing since we don't know what the long-term effects are, that we attend to those needs first. And also that there will be families in our communities, school, you know, in our school and in many other schools that are dealing with actual grief, which there is no start and stop point, that we will have children who have lost family members and keeping that in mind too, that in addition to this collective, scary, unexpected trauma, there will be students who will be dealing with, dealing with grief and loss for a long time. Um, so I think that that for us, we don't know how it will affect them, but I know that it has to stay a priority that we continue to um, stay attuned to those needs for our teachers and our students. I think it's gonna be such an, a challenge as we go forward to, cause there's gonna be this tremendous impulse to be like excited, exhilarated that we're done, we're through. And, uh, and, and but you have to track, you can't, you have to track other people's experience um, as we go through it. So, um, well, as we close here, I'm just curious about what you would advise families to do over the winter break. So let's remember that we get a break for, uh, from school and that, um, and from this moment. Uh, so what, what would you advise people to do um, to recharge, reflect, prepare for a 2021 that, you know, will be challenging, but maybe will return us to some kind of normalcy. So yeah, what should we do for the next couple of weeks? I think as much as you can to rest um, and to just enjoy the time together and just take a breather as you know, as, as it, as it makes sense for you and your family. But I think um, our kids and we know we see them every day. They are so, they are tired and they have carried so much and they have been wonderful. I know how we feel as an, as adults, I, I'm not, you know, seven or eight, but I know that they are working and they have, um, had a very busy year. So I would say just continuing to read with them, to do things they enjoy, to let them play, you know, to be able to engage and to do things that feel like it's enjoyable um, for them and to spend time together as a family. So I would say rest if you can and as much as you can. Hey, Michelle. I, yes, thank you. I, I agree 100%. Rest, play. I think just be, be present together, uh, whatever that looks like. Um, and again, you know, paying particular attention to what your kids need. So if they want to curl up in a curl in a corner with a good book, uh, let them do that. If they want to go outside and run around, like just let them do what they need to do that allows them to feel generative. I think, but be present and also be hopeful. The future might feel kind of murky, but I think we have reason to hope. There are like concrete, objective reasons to be hopeful. And so if we see kids worried about that, I think we can say, you know, we're moving forward. We're moving in the right direction. Um, but just to play and and um, be thankful um, for kids that are healthy and present and engaged and, 
just to be thankful and hopeful and positive and to have fun. <laughs> Seems like good advice. I'll yeah. take it. Uh, um, yeah. Agreed. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, let's call that a 2020. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's been a, it's been a long year. Uh, I want to thank uh, Garrett, Courtney, and Michelle for joining us, uh, taking the time to talk with us. Um, we hope everyone listening has a safe break. Um, as always, I want to thank Nick Fletcher, who edits these podcasts. Um, if you like the podcast, please review it wherever you get them. You can uh, uh, follow us on social media or just look for Redesigning School. You can sign up for a newsletter at redesigningschool.org. Um, and uh, just uh, thank you for listening and thanks for joining. Mm-hmm.